instead of trying to say everything all at once through like all the different uh, mediums that are available to you, because I think that can be that can end up being more confusing as well. Like I think we definitely need to explore and find what we are interested in, but um, we don't have to do all of the things because there's someone else out there doing it too, and it's fine, you know. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the discussion and exploration of art in the creative process. I'm your host, Aaron S, and today's episode is the first part of a two-part conversation with the amazing artist, Crystal Pereira. Crystal is a fine artist based in Montreal, Canada, whose work examines our relationship to the landscape around us. Exploring themes such as climate change, Crystal often uses oil paints to depict scenes that show us how we are changing and damaging the world we live in. I'll start where I start with everybody. So just mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became an artist. Sure. Um, well, I'm a visual artist from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And I started painting a little over four years ago. Um, I was actually an osteopath before I started uh, making art. So that's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a form oh. of manual therapy. Uh, oh. So kind of like a physical therapist. Uh, so I worked with people uh, doing manual therapy. And um, I actually started painting while I was studying to be an osteo. And uh, yeah, it was just something that I quickly became really obsessed with and then started doing a lot. And uh, it was during the pandemic, actually, that I started painting full time because I was already um, in art school part time, but like more kind of for fun while I was working. And um, the clinic that I was working at during the pandemic closed down in the first three months where um, I don't know what lockdown looked like for you guys, but over here, everything closed for three months. And then there was just nothing open and everyone had to stay at home. We had a curfew. It was really intense. Um, And I started just painting every day and uh, talking to friends online while painting. And it just became like a very big part of my life. And uh, yeah, then um, I, well, the clinic since it was closed, I stopped working there and then I just never went back kind of. That's great. And so I've been doing that full time since then. And now I can actually live off of that and, you know, have things planned in, in, in regards to like my painting career. So I'm very lucky to be able to do that. So I'm actually quite curious, like, do you feel that mm-hmm. like had the pandemic never happened, do you think you would be a full-time artist now? It was my plan to do that, but like on a more long-term uh, timeline, because I don't think I would have ever felt comfortable quitting my job that was, you know, like safe and well-paid yeah. and that I had studied to do. And, and you know, until I had something uh, like kind of sure or, you know, more more stable, whereas, you know, when the pandemic started, I wasn't at a point in my painting where I felt comfortable with it or where I would have chosen to do that full time and like made that leap. Um, But I just kind of did it and then things started working anyway. And um, yeah, and then I I started, um, I was doing art school before, but part-time and then I was doing it full-time during the pandemic. And then I uh, recently graduated, well, recently, not so recently anymore. It's been exactly one year actually. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I graduated from art school uh last year and then just kind of never went back to work as a manual therapist <laughs> so like i find that really fascinating because i speak to a lot of artists who are part-time that want to be mm-hmm. full-time artists and i mm-hmm. always say to them like being a full-time artist is great but there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of hard work for you to be a full-time mm-hmm. artist it's not it's not the illusion that you're going to be just sitting in your studio painting every day because actually exactly. being a full-time artist 10 percent of that is actually painting 90% mm-hmm. is admin I'm kind yeah, of like I don't 
I don't know the exact percentage of what is what, but I was surprised by how much administrative stuff there was to do with it. And especially in the beginning, like I didn't have a website. I didn't have, you know, any of that. I hadn't written a biography. I hadn't written a, yeah. uh, an artist statement or any of that. I had never applied to shows. I hadn't done all of that. And so I was kind of just learning as I was doing it. And then, you know, I just thought, oh, well, why not do this next step and why not push it and, and see what happens. And, and actually, can you talk about some of the kind of different hats you have to wear as a full-time artist? Yeah, um, well, you're kind of like doing six different jobs, I think, or maybe not six, but you have to be able to uh, document your work. So photography and now with, you know, everything going towards a more like video thing, like Mm -hmm. I haven't done that yet, but I I plan on kind of dabbling in trying to make like time lapse and and things like that as well. Um, So documenting is a big part of it because a lot of what you do as an artist ends up online or is is consumed, uh, you know, digitally online so you have to present a good version of it um otherwise there's also a lot of writing about your work that I hadn't anticipated being such a big thing but every show that I've applied to every grant that I've applied to has been has involved a lot of writing um so uh for example currently I I have a a grant that allows me to just paint full time and do a lot of research and creation. Uh, But for that, I had to write a 15 page document with uh, a budget, a timeline, biography, uh, complete description of the project that I wanted to do. So even before you start painting, before you start any of that, um, you have to apply for this and then you have to already have written out what you plan on doing with it and how you're going to go about doing it. So there's definitely a lot more planning, especially for someone who's more like last minute and who doesn't necessarily, you know, plan projects six months in advance because you have to for these sorts of things. You have okay. to write it up and you can't submit it, um, you know, like the day before the deadline because you you won't get an answer for four months. So depending on if you do get a positive answer, then you're going to get those funds and you're going to be able to start the project. But you have to definitely plan a lot more in advance. So that's crazy. But that's also really interesting because at some point in the future, probably the very far future, like doing kind of like grants, giving artists grants is something I would love to do. I think it would be so mm-hmm. powerful because I think any kind of money that kind of goes into the arts is going to be the best thing ever. So I'm actually mm-hmm. really intrigued with that concept. It's something that I've been thinking about. I don't know what I'm thinking about now about the finances, but it's something that I would love to do in the future because I think, you know, mm-hmm. If you could pay like an artist rent for a year, something like that, I think that would be super beneficial to like help mm-hmm. them create. Because I think the biggest obstacle for artists is time. Like you need the time to create. And I guess a good question from that would be like, what is the biggest challenge of being an artist for you? Um, I think there's a lot of different ones. And I think according to the person's, the artist's personality, they're going to take up more or less space for them in, in terms of being obstacles. But um definitely time money space um, and otherwise just more believing in what you do and believing in yourself and persevering with it as well because it's it's easy to doubt what you're doing especially when we have access to see so many like so much interesting art online and we could just access it and just see like all this amazing stuff and we get to feel like everything's been done or everything's been done better by someone else so why am I doing it and (laughs) So I think just like having that confidence of knowing, like, even if you made a terrible painting today and the day before and the day before that, and you feel like you're not confident with your stuff, like just knowing that if you keep at it for a certain number of years, that you will get to a point with it where you're satisfied with it. But um, like, I can't say that I'm there yet with my work in terms of like being satisfied with it, but I know that if I stick with it and keep working towards it, I will get to that point. So I think that was the hardest part for me to like overcome those temporary uh like feelings of uh I don't like my work or even within 
the same painting, even if I end up liking the end result, there's always an ugly stage of a painting where you're applying things and you're like, what am I doing with my life? This is horrible. <laughs> like I, I'm so glad no one is seeing this right now. <laughs> and then you just have to push through that and get to a point yeah. where you're like, okay, it wasn't so bad. I had to like set the stage for this painting to become what it is later on. But there's there's always that stage where you're just like, well, I should become a plumber, you know? <laughs> oh, that that's my life every day. I'm always like, what yeah. am I doing with my life? What am I, why do I do this? <laughs> like... It's, exactly. it's, I think I think it's because being an artist is so it's so uncertain mm-hmm. you know and there's there's no guarantee of anything there's no guarantee your work will be seen by anybody there's no guarantee people will like it there's no guarantee of success there's no guarantee of financial reward there's mm-hmm. just no guarantee which is actually why I like talking to artists somebody asked me this the other day I, I should probably know who's asked me because I can't remember but somebody <laughs> asked me the other day like why do I like talking to artists and I said because the career is so, and that's it. Mark Thompson, a really cool artist. I'll send you his work. If you don't know his work already, mm-hmm. that's who asked me. Yeah, because we had a we had a Zoom call. Why did I, how did I forget that? Um, <laughs> but he asked me like, why do I interview artists? And I said because art is so uncertain, and I feel like art is so important, and it's around us everywhere. But I feel like for me, I don't see people really promoting it as much as it should be promoted. Um, in my opinion, um, and I'm kind of just actually curious. Like, do you think that society undervalues art? Before I answer that, I'd like to go back on like the uncertainty part of it, because I think that's definitely a huge part of it. And like there's, you know, like navigating in all this uncertainty is liberating, but also terrifying because anything can be done. Anything is possible. And so you have to choose what you do and then you have to do it. And so there's like a big part of already like going back to uh, like just creating what you want to do and navigating that uncertainty and like the blank page being at once like liberating and terrifying. so that's something that I, I wanted to mention about that. Um, and sorry, what was the other question? You said something about how, oh, if art was undervalued. Um, I think it can be. I think it depends a lot on, I mean, I can only speak to my experience living where I live with like access to, you know, the public funding and opportunities that I get here. Um, I think there are quite a lot of opportunities if you go looking for them. Uh, but there's also a lot of, competition or a lot of uh, other people that are doing very interesting work as well and who you know absolutely deserve an opportunity to show it as well so I think you have to kind of um, be willing to look for opportunities promote yourself in a way and have that confidence to you know show your stuff and say like yes I think this is worthy of of being shown or of being valued and uh, yeah, so I think that's like maybe the hard part where a lot of artists will wait to be discovered or wait for that, yeah. you know, like elusive uh, <laughs> gallery to come knocking. And that's not necessarily how it works, or at least not anymore. There's not that that same relationship to to that anymore. I think, although we'll get into it much later, I think social media doesn't really help necessarily because I feel like we all kind of think, or we always hope in the back of our minds that somehow we'll suddenly be discovered on social media and everything will increase in terms of our views and our likes and our followers and mm-hmm. that provide us loads of opportunities when actually you really have to make as you said yourself you really have to make the opportunities happen for yourself and mm-hmm. and it's crazy to me because I know artists who are extremely like nose to the ground have gallery shows all the time always constantly working yet this their work still isn't seen by that many people and it, it kind yeah. of makes me think that it's all it's already about kind of like where you show your work and how you come across and how you're perceived and actually a question for you now which I was going to ask you much later but now is probably yeah. the best way if it's a conversation quick aside my I sent you notes but I the order never goes to plan <laughs> no worries it goes I jump around all the time um, just so <laughs> you know 
But a question actually would be good to ask you is, is from a friend of mine called Ryan Dean Has, and I ask this in, I think, every interview now at this point. Um, and we were talking ages ago about the idea of which is more important, the skill of the artist or the personality of the artist? Hmm. Um, I personally hope that it's more the skill of the artist, <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure. I think it's probably a combination of that. And I think a lot of, you know, like the more traditional art world with galleries and, and all that is also based on the personality of the artist and who they know and their contacts and all that. But I think there has to be substance behind that. There has to be something worthy of of looking at and talking about and something that brings something as well and not just like, oh, well, this person is very charismatic and knows the right people. So they're gonna succeed in this. Or at least I, I hope that's not like the entire the entire answer because yeah, I'm really not good at the whole like networking aspect of it. I wish I could just not do it and like send an actor into the world who does all that. And I just like stay in the shadows and paint. But unfortunately that's not how it works. <laughs> I do kind of wonder if there is a a niche there where somebody could fill that gap. Because I feel like so many artists, and I feel bad because I, I always say so many artists, I try to I always reference people I talk to, but I talk to a lot of mm-hmm. artists every day. But there's a kind of case of like, so many artists want to do the same thing. Like people don't mm-hmm. want to have to promote themselves. They don't want to have to attend gallery shows necessarily. They don't want to have to mm-hmm. post on social media necessarily. They don't have to necessarily be out in the limelight. They want to just be in their studios, in their houses, creating work and kind of mm-hmm. just, you know, actually focusing on their craft, not the, the 90% yeah. of the admin. And I'm kind of mm-hmm. wondering, like, maybe there's a niche there for someone to fill that gap or maybe like some kind of artist manager role could be filled. I don't know. Yeah, well, I know that there are artist managers, um, but I don't think, like what I had in mind was, I wish that there was like, maybe it could be an art performance, but like an actor who would pretend to be me and go to all of these events and be very charismatic and meet people and pretend it's their work and talk about it. And I would coach them. But uh, yeah, I <laughs> but mean, I do know if there are artist managers, but they won't yeah. do this. Hey, you could hire someone to do that. It could work. Yeah. In the right way. In the right way, it could actually work. Or it could just be a sense of like, maybe figuring out how you're comfortable talking about your work and the way in which you want your work to be mm-hmm. seen and kind of have your work displayed somewhere where you feel comfortable enough to talk about it that mm-hmm. you're true that you don't feel kind of like that you have to have somebody else to replace you because at the end of the day like we want to hear from you you're the one who creates it yeah you know? exactly and like I say this but I really sincerely enjoyed for example at my exhibition speaking to everyone who was there yeah. and you know seeing their reaction to to my work and just you know watching them walk around the room and look at things and how seeing how they engage with the art as well and that's something that I would lose if I was just like a recluse getting progressively weirder you know staying alone at home and like petting my cats you know <laughs> although that just sounded like the idea of life I'm not gonna lie I'm yeah. just like can I just sit in my room drink tea eat biscuits and just eat, talk to artists can I just do that in my life that'd be perfect um, <laughs> you know one can hope <laughs> yeah Right. Well, so I actually wanted to kind of go back slightly to the idea of art education, because as mm-hmm. you just said, you graduated last year. Congratulations on that. That is absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Uh, but I just wanted to know, like, what was your experience of art education like? And is it something mm-hmm. that you would suggest or recommend to the artists? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think everyone's experience with that is going to be different. And I'm very lucky to live in a province where art education is very inexpensive or education in general is very inexpensive. So it wasn't... Um, it wasn't like a big deal for me to go back to school and to, you know, do a bachelor's degree because it wasn't costing me, for example, a hundred thousand dollars like it would in, in the U.S. Or I'm not sure what the education system is like in in the U.K., but I'm assuming it would be a little bit more costly as well. It cost you, yeah, it cost you about 
ten thousand pounds, maybe. Okay, so not as bad as hundred thousand. No, it's not. It's not hundred thousand. No, like no. If, that, if that was the case, nobody would ever have any education ever here. No, well, I definitely wouldn't if that had been the case. But um, yeah, given that it was like such a low risk decision, it was definitely uh easier for me to take that decision and to go there. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned, I personally really enjoyed it. I was also going back to it as an as an adult who already had studied before and who already had a career, you know, quote unquote. But um, yeah, so I think that took a lot of the stress away from from being in school because I had classmates who were, you know, 18 and 19 and who were so stressed about everything and who were just, you know, who have panic attacks with the critiques that we would have in class. And for me, it was just like, well, I'm just talking about my art to a group of people and I'm hoping to get some insightful comments or just to get some critique or to get better at this. So um, yeah, I think there's definitely... Uh, something to there's something to be had from from an art education I don't think it's mandatory and I don't think that um, everyone has to do this in order to to become an artist and even if they want to become a professional artist I don't think it's it's necessary some places will ask that you have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in order to show your work there in order to to collaborate with them but that's pretty rare I find from you know applying to different things I I've seen like a couple of places that asked this, but not all that many. And I think that ultimately we're all kind of self-taught in a way, because even within yeah. a specific uh, framework or structure, it's you're you're only going to learn to the extent that you're curious and willing to learn. And you know, no one is ever really self-taught anyway. It's just always like a combination of where you get your sources. And you know, with access to the internet nowadays, you can have so much interesting information, like in terms of mediums or in terms of you know, just learning anything that you want to learn about art, you can look it up, you will find videos of people showing you specific techniques or specific things. And, you know, there's so many resources out there if you're willing to go out and look for them. So that's why I say that no one is is self-taught. It's just a matter of like how you go get the information, how you integrate it and, and what you do with it. Have you ever thought about teaching? Um, I did teach actually all of last year. Yeah, uh, I taught um, adults living with physical disabilities. Oh, wow. uh, so it was a really fun experience. I had, um, it was a very small group, though. I think it was about six students. Okay. Um, and so it was a very, it was nice because I, I got to know everyone really intimately because it was um, a class over a one year period where we would see oh, each wow, other every yeah. week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, and wow. I really enjoyed that. Would you ever consider doing like a Skillshare course or something like that? Um. Perhaps, but I think I would have to feel like I developed something unique or specific that I would be able to bring because I think uh, there's already a lot of good teachers out there and there's already a lot of good courses that'll teach you. Um, I'm mostly interested in oil painting. So, you know, there's already a lot of, you know, oil painting introduction, introductory courses and all that out there. So I, I don't know what more I could bring currently, but I think in a couple of years, I would be more interested in, you know, if I develop specific things in teaching that. Yeah. What about the pre-production of an image? Maybe isn't that something you can teach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like all the work that goes into yeah. beforehand. Yeah, um, I think, I'm not sure how much interest, well, no, there would probably be interest for that, but I'm just not sure how many people know that they would be interested in it. Uh -huh. Only because like for me, at this moment in time, I'm very interested in pre-production of mm -hmm. images and art because I feel like that's a huge part of the creative process we just don't really see that often and obviously I understand mm -hmm. it's, it can be a very elusive one because you don't really know what you're creating sometimes but True. I'm kind of just really interested like how somebody gets from like the initial concept in their mind to having it down on a physical surface mm -hmm. and I'm yeah. always really interested because it can go anywhere mm -hmm. but it ends up going somewhere 
that's true. And it usually, I think it depends on the people, but for me, it usually ends up only kind of vaguely resembling the initial idea or the initial plan. Um, I can tell you maybe a little bit personally how I go about approaching creating an image. Um, There's usually some, hang on, I have, well, I'm not going to show you my sketchbook because that's not going to translate well for audio, but uh, basically I usually start with just little like thumbnail sketches uh, where I just kind of figure out where things would be placed on it. And I usually start from like I'll mentally just have a, an image or an idea or something that I want to create. And then I'll go about trying to create a composition with that or just seeing like, you know, just specific like color areas or, or things that I would want to show. Um, and then from there, I'll, I'll test out different iterations of that of that thing until I feel like I have something that I would want to translate to a bigger surface. And then I, uh, I try that. Um, I used to be more like I would basically when I was learning, I would find an image that I found interesting and then I would just recreate that image. But now I'm trying to go beyond that and to incorporate different things. And if I do use uh, photography as reference for, for my work now, it'll be many different images and not just one. And, and I'll try to work a little bit more with uh, composition ideas that aren't just like recreating the original image. Uh, I've just wrote down here, there's an artist I interviewed quite recently. Well, no, I interviewed her quite a, long, a while ago, but her mm-hmm. interviews just came out. And she does the same thing in terms of like, her name's Helena Artbook. And okay. um, she creates these really, really cool, beautiful images of women. Like these really mm-hmm. amazing kind of very just feminine, very kind of like, very, very like feminine divine, very like big eyes. She has a very mm-hmm. interesting aesthetic to her work, but she mm-hmm. creates them using various different images combined. And, okay. you know, I'm going to send you her work and I'll send... Wait, I send her, her work to you and your okay. work to her and hopefully have a <laughs> conversation about that because it could be really interesting. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. one thing I love to do is connect to people. I'm like, okay, these people have been similar like creative processes. Maybe they could discuss mm-hmm. it and kind of get ideas and bounce ideas for each other. Granted, your subject matter is very different. That could also mm-hmm. be very interesting to consider. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If you want me to, of course. Yeah, for sure. I've just added her onto the list that I'm going to send you. Mm-hmm. Um, um, actually, I kind of jumped ahead slightly, but... Just for those who have not seen it, can you just describe your work? Sure. Um, so I mostly do, uh, well, currently I'm doing large scale contemporary landscape paintings uh, in oil. So um, they're generally pretty colorful. Um, what else could I say about it? Uh, well, there's usually some sort of like man-made elements incorporated in them or something else that will disrupt the image in a way. Um, it's kind of hard to say at this point because I feel like my work is changing currently where I'm going more towards uh, doing like kind of composite images or kind of doing more complex uh, compositions where I'm incorporating more things in them. But yeah, basically like if I had to describe it in a very concise manner, I would say like landscape paintings, kind of colorful, kind of weird at times. (laughs) So are there any particular key themes that you look at in your work? Um, Well, I've become more interested in how to talk about like the environmental crisis through art Um, and that's just a thing that's kind of happened in the past year in my work I would say where before that I was more focused on learning how to paint how to use my materials how to just how to (laughs) Um, and I think I was trying to ask myself what was important for me as as a person and as an artist and how I could incorporate that into my practice Um, So, yeah, I think I've been trying to find a way to talk about to talk about that through painting. And um, I'm still kind of toying with, you know, is it important to create beautiful images or is it important to 
you know, address things in a more like literal way, but without it being too literal, because I don't know, I don't want to just like paint things on fire and, and be like, Hey, everything is horrible and the planet's dying. <laughs> you know, there still has to be like some, some art to it. Cause the, cause what I like about your work and the thing that I'm really kind of curious about is this idea that your work actually has a deeper meaning it's not just a, a, an, an aesthetically pleasing image it's not just oh this is a really interesting white painted landscape it's like oh this actually means something there's actually a reason for this to be created and mm-hmm. I'm kind of just curious like why is art the right medium to use to promote or to kind of talk about this kind of message mm-hmm. um well I think for me I tend to think more in terms of of images or feelings or ideas and I think that painting can definitely communicate that in a way that that I find satisfying. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not an intellectual. I'm not going to be writing any books on the subject. It just seems like to me the best way to communicate these these feelings and ideas is through making an image that that speaks to me and hopefully speaks to others as well. Um, yeah, so I think that's why for me it's a it's a good medium for that. But I know that some people will be able to speak about the same subjects way more eloquently in words, and that'll be you know, for them, the best way to communicate it. But there's no one way to talk about something and there's no, uh, there's no one right way to do something. So I think like just having like this plurality of voices describing the same or similar things, but in different mediums or in different ways is, is just going to enrich the conversation. I know you predominantly paint landscapes, but you also mm-hmm. paint other imagery as well. But mm-hmm. just on the concept of landscapes in a minute, like why are landscapes important to you though? Like why is looking at the environment around us important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think it can definitely help to bring our awareness to our physical surroundings and to kind of wonder about our place in our surroundings as well. And I think we went from um, seeing nature as something that was uh, something to be feared, you know, something inexplicable, to something that was then to be tamed and studied and understood, but also, you know, bought, sold, uh, you know, exploited. And I think that now there's kind of this turning point where we're going more towards seeing nature as something to be respected and also seeing nature as something that we are a part of and not just something that we are exterior to. And I think that like shift in perspective is very important because I think in order to uh, create changes that will help protect the environment, we have to see ourselves as being part of the environment. So whether we're in a rural setting or um, in an urban setting, like just to see that nature is everywhere and that we are a part of it as well. So mm-hmm. So that's actually a really interesting point because you just said that about buying and selling mm-hmm. like nature. I've just wrote down here, land is a commodity. And it's like, that's a mm-hmm. concept that obviously I'm very aware of, but it's not that I haven't really thought about. And now you've just said that, I've just thought, oh, actually I should create like mm-hmm. a photo series based on that. That'd be really interesting. So thank you very much. And also it's kind of really interesting because this idea of like, you're capturing, because you're, I mean, actually the one cool thing about landscape um, <laughs> and it's kind of a weird, it's a weird confession. Probably should be mentioning this, but, I am. but it's weird because like probably about, Mm-hmm. five six years ago maybe i've actually really didn't like landscapes i thought landscapes were really boring i thought landscapes and art were just kind mm-hmm. of overdone whereas now i i absolutely love seeing images of landscapes mm-hmm. i think it's actually probably one of the most exciting subjects you can draw because really you're documenting the world around you mm-hmm. you know and in a year's time and six months time and ten years time it will never be like mm-hmm. that exactly so i guess and in many ways you're what you say about, as well as um, a painter. you know not enjoying landscapes because when i started painting i I was drawn to it, but I was also worried about 
um, having my work be more contemporary or important or speaking of something more relevant. And so it felt like landscape was this outdated, uh, outdated subject matter. And um, I kind of shied away from it for like, I would say the first year or, you know, I had a different relationship to it, but now I definitely don't feel that it's outdated or that it doesn't have its place. And I think it's more relevant than ever now to be painting landscapes with what we know about the state of the world and where things are going. See, that's actually a really, I'm going to, I'm going to say slot in this interview, but that's a really good consideration because you're very right. Because when you think of art, at least when I think of art, I think not automatically, but the idea of portraits in the human form, the human condition, like that's a mm -hmm. huge subject that so many people look at. And it kind of seems like sometimes mm -hmm. that's very much eclipsed, like landscape painting is very, or just landscapes in general, are very much eclipsed by the idea of figurative work in the human condition, because mm -hmm. one could argue that we see, we can relate to, to figures more because we can see ourselves in images of other people. But then I also feel like mm -hmm. we can very much consider the human condition by looking at landscapes also. And I think you're right. I think there is actually not a trend, because I don't think it's really a trend, but there's definitely like a rise in the way mm -hmm. the landscape has now been portrayed through art in this contemporary era, I think. And also with technology as well, I think it's kind of more important than ever to document the world around us, really. Yeah. And just in terms of um, like how the, uh, how climate change has been uh, portrayed in the media since, I think it's 2019, there's been a 75% increase in the amount of times that we hear about climate change in the news. And so I think it's become this uh, like I don't think that things have changed dramatically since 2019 but just like the way that we hear about it and the, the frequency at which we hear about it has changed our relationship to these things and so I think people have just become kind of hyper aware of how we're impacting the planet and I think that artists being kind of sensitive to this and what's going on around them in the world have maybe turned more towards landscape or things dealing with um, with with nature because of this shift in perspective I actually kind of wanted to ask the question then. Um, and it's not something I probably know, so I've just typed it up. But the idea of like, if your work is about something like climate change or kind of just the economy, like how mm -hmm. do you kind of make sure that your work is presented as authentic rather than kind of jumping on a trend? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that will have a, have a lot to do with your intention. Um, I think that, you know, no matter how much we, we pile things on top of our intention, like it still shows through in the end product. So if you're coming from a place of like sincerely wanting to express something about these questions, I think that's going to come through. Whereas if you're, um, you know, like either visually or uh, conceptually copying someone, I think that's also going to come through as well. So I think just by reflecting on these things and by trying to find a personal way to express that, I think it's always going to read as, as being sincere, even if it's something that just happens to currently be a popular subject or, you know, happens to be doing well in the art world. But do you think that it will be noticed? Let's say you jump on a trend of um, what's trendy at the minute. Let's say AI art, for instance, which is you know, mm -hmm. probably quite trendy. Like, let's say you jumped on that trend. Do you think that other artists will understand that you're jumping on a trend, or do you think the general public will understand you're jumping on a trend? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, it's kind of hard to say. Like, I feel it could be interpreted either way. But I think if you get to a certain point as an artist where you have a certain voice or style, you know, no matter the way that you that you interpret it afterwards, it's still going to show through in that. Um, so maybe that's a part of the answer, but I'm not sure. I'm, I mean, I personally have just been kind of going towards things that I'm interested in and yeah. trying to go as far as I can in that. Uh, so it's hard for me to speak to 
trends exactly because I, yeah. I just feel like I've been on this journey of like trying to find what exactly I want to do and what I want to say with my art and I feel like I'm you know at the beginning of discovering what it yeah. is and I'm just pursuing that so I haven't been too concerned with how it comes across or how it's uh, how it's perceived but I know that you know it, it is viewed and perceived in a certain way but I don't have control over that either way so I think I'm just going to go to I'm just going to try to be as honest as I can with it and try to push as far as I can with my personal vision and you know let other people perceive it the way that they will because I, I can't control that and how hard is it to actually kind of find your artistic voice um well I think that it varies um, a lot like some people start out and they already have a very specific either style or message or something that's like super visible in their work or super present um that wasn't the case for me I feel like I I I started from a place of just wanting to know how to use my tools and like wanting to experiment with a lot of things and so I feel like I did a lot of different very disparate things at first where it was not clear to me or probably to others where I was going with it and and that was fine too like you have to let yourself explore things at first and 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 go through all those you know phases or experiments and you know like I went through a little portrait phase and it just helped me realize that I don't care for portraits <laughs> and I can I appreciate know. people who do it well but I personally have no interest in doing this or like working with the human figure uh, a lot of people think that because I was a manual therapist and because I studied anatomy for six years that I'm going to have an interest towards this or that I'll have a certain facility with that in art but in honesty, I have no interest in that whatsoever. Like it's just, if anything, it has made me less interested in this as, as, as a subject or as a, as a, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's really fascinating though, I think, because it's kind of like, you're right. People would assume that you're going to be a certain way or be disposed to a certain way, but you're not. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of interesting because that means you look at your work very much from, and I liked what you said earlier, actually, in terms of like, you're creating for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think it can be very, very easy to get caught up in creating work for other people. And I exactly. think, again, we'll talk about this later, but social media also plays a huge role in that in terms of mm -hmm. like, you know, feeling like you have to pander to the algorithm or you have to create work that is going to be um, shareable or is going to be popular. And I'm kind of just curious, like, how do you know that your work is genuinely yours? Um, well, I think it's just a feeling that you have where you're satisfied with a piece, regardless of how it's received or how it's interpreted. Um, I think it's just like this uh, feeling of having succeeded in depicting something that's important to you. And um, I think that by by going to something that's really deeply personal, that we get to reach something that is universal in the way that it can yeah. impact people. But I think that by trying to go universal, you will never find the personal and that you won't even get the universal because you're just going to be trying to jump on trends. But if if there's a trend, it means that it's already there and you're kind of hopping onto it late because it's already visible and you see it and then you try to emulate it or, or, or jump on that, if you will. Whereas if you're just kind of following your little inner thread and you know like no matter how tangled it can be you're still following something that that makes sense and that has like um uh well for lack of a better word a thread yeah. <laughs> and so you're still following this this thing that makes sense just even if it doesn't make sense exteriorly to you it makes sense and there's going to be something that um that you're going to find at you know throughout the process and hopefully at the end as well but mostly like throughout the process so I want to talk to you about different mediums because, you know, you're predominantly a painter, but you also dabble with sculpture and three-dimensional work. Um, so what kind mm -hmm. of led to, to you figuring out these are kind of the mediums that you like to explore? Um, well, I started with oil painting because I 
had always been fascinated with it. And when I went to museums, it was always the the things that I was drawn to. And so I started with that. And I feel like I, you know, hit upon the right medium when I started because I really love it. And I've tried other things since. And I just always tend to go back to oil painting. Um, but in terms of the 3D work that I've been doing lately, that was, um, it was I was doing that in order to create a body of work in paint as well. So it wasn't sculpture for sculpture's sake. Um, I, I per, maybe eventually I will do things that are 3D and that will just be presented, you know, in and of themselves. But um, I was interested in trying to see how I could use a physical object as as a reference or as a starting point for paintings or for a series of paintings. So I was just creating this little world with like sculptures and living plants and and uh, a bunch of different things like that, that would then be used as references for paintings. So um, I think in terms of like 3D work, that's the that's the extent of my interest towards it for now. But I really do like the idea of creating a world or creating a little maquette or diorama that I then paint from. Yeah, because you posted a while back, it was like this three-dimensional piece of work and it had like the sides and I would have mm-hmm. like different sides. And I was just, I was really amazed by it because I hadn't seen anything like it. And mm-hmm. not just that, it's fascinating because as you've just said, like being an artist is to create your own world. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting when you take the world you've created and put it into the world we exist in. There's something mm-hmm. really kind of intriguing about the idea of displacement and this idea of like reality, I guess, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And I love to always ask artists in every interview about reality. And it's kind of like, so do you consider the work, work do you consider the reality in the work you create to be of the world we live in? Or is it its own reality that you're creating? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it varies quite a bit, but like if you think of the of the painter as a narrator, um, you know, in realistic paintings, we will kind of assume that the narrator is is telling us something that is real or that exists or is pointing to something real. Uh, but in my um, in my recent exhibition, I was toying with the idea of being an unreliable narrator. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept, but like in in literature or in uh, cinema, it's a basically like a narrator that is telling you something, but you, you're not sure if you can trust them. You're not sure if they're really telling you the truth or if they're just kind of leading you along into something that doesn't exist. So I wanted to create a body of work where I was the narrator, but the people looking at my work couldn't really be sure if what I was telling them was true or not, because I was painting things that were real, but you know that were kind of really off in the scale or that had something a little strange or worrying in it. And um, yeah, so I was interested in doing that. And this is disturbing strangeness. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I actually wanted to ask about the title. I, I'm assuming you saw the question or like the yeah. kind of the thing I wrote. So like, where did the title come from? And kind of like, is the title, because I wrote here, like disturbing strangeness, as in, do you mean like, are you disturbing the idea of strangeness or is the strangeness disturbing? Because I, mm-hmm. I really love the ambiguity in the title. I think it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's from actually the German word unheimlich uh, that I'm not pronouncing correctly, but anyway, it means uh, like disturbing strangeness or inquietante étrangeté in French. Um, so it's the uh, it's the feeling that something is at once familiar and strange. So uh, this experience of something as kind of mysterious, but also creepy, but also familiar. So for example, um, if you're walking into your uh, childhood bedroom and it feels very familiar but then there's like certain elements that you don't recognize and something starts to feel strange um, so it's kind of a, a thing that is familiar but also unsettling uh, so I was trying to create a world where things were familiar because it was 
uh, elements that you you are familiar with, like for example, mushrooms, plants, uh, a bulldozer, um, like different little toy trucks that were in the landscape as well, but just in ways that made no sense whatsoever. Like the scale was super off for all of these things and they they shouldn't really necessarily be interacting in the same image, but they were able to interact because I created this physical world in which they all coexisted, but just in, in a kind of strange way. That's so fascinating. And this whole kind of idea of, it's almost in a way, even though it's not quite, it's almost adjacent to, I'd say, like the idea of liminal space and the idea like mm-hmm. you're going somewhere where you're, you kind of vaguely know, but also you have no idea what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And also the sense of like deja vu where you, you know, you're yeah. experiencing something that you feel like you've been there before, but you haven't. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think deja vu is a form of of uh, unheimlich or like oh, perfect. uncanny. Yeah, but there's also yeah. the jamais vu. Which is uh, which literally would mean ha- never seen. Uh, so it's for example, if you see something that you've seen every day, but suddenly you see it with new eyes, as if you had never seen it. And so yeah. this thing that is super familiar to you, and you're suddenly like, "Wow, has this just been like this the whole yeah. time, and I haven't seen it?" Or if I don't know if you've ever had this, where like you look at the spelling of a word, and you're like, "That's how you spell this," and I've been writing this my whole life, and it <laughs> seems so weird that I would put these letters in this <laughs> in this sequence, but that's how it is, and you get like that sense of of strangeness from something so familiar i tell you what i get which is bizarre and i don't know if you know how common this is if it's, if it's very common but i always get a feeling of um and i do this a lot at work because I, I work in a hardware store so i'm on a timber store so i cook wood for mm-hmm. people and stuff like that and i get it a lot when i'm on there which is probably quite concerning but this idea <laughs> of this idea of like you kind of zone out and kind of remember yourself if that makes sense mm-hmm. like you kind of remember like you're currently here doing this this moment in time i don't know if that's common mm-hmm. or not or that should be concerning but it's yeah kind of like this time. outside view of yourself right yeah it's it's weird it happens quite often and I think maybe I should forget that chat out but it's kind of like a, <laughs> a sense of you kind of just don't really realize you you kind of like you you how can I explain without something absolutely strange it's almost like you forget you exist and then you suddenly remember you exist mm-hmm. or like you're suddenly very very like what's the right word for it but you're very present like aware like, yeah <laughs> like you're very present like that you're currently doing this at this moment in time and you're the one doing it Mm-hmm. I don't know. Not, not that has anything to do with that we're talking about, but I just wanted to say that. Yeah, no, but I, I get that. And I don't know if there's a word for that, but I've experienced that too. Just that feeling of like suddenly being like very aware of that moment and what you're doing it and, and just how kind of absurd it can be that you you exist as a human on this planet doing this yeah, task. And... It's, it's bizarre. It happens at work <laughs> as well. So I think I should be concerned about that, but you know. <laughs> well, especially if you're handling like, you know, a saw near your fingers, you should probably be careful. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not the kind of thing you can cut your hand off unless you're literally cutting your hand off. So it's fine. Okay. But um, it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird like sensation because you just kind of, it's just like you re- you remind yourself you exist. It's bizarre. It's, I don't know. It's something that I should probably, I should Google actually. Um, <laughs> the sense of displacement, I think. Absolutely. I mean, who needs doctors when we've got Google nowadays? Who needs anything when we've got Google nowadays? <laughs> really. I was going to say who needs parents, but I mean, that's a whole different matter. Um, <laughs> so actually, I want to kind of go back slightly and kind of ask you, like, what do you look for in a landscape when you're painting? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in terms of like purely aesthetic concerns, yeah. there's definitely, uh, you know, like a specific composition or... Uh, like certain lines or things that will lead you into it or just create something that's compositionally interesting. Um, otherwise, maybe a color palette. But I think these things happen kind of unconsciously when you're when you're looking at a landscape, because for me, it's more like it'll it'll strike me or 
I'll feel something emotionally from it and then want to get into it. But then if I start to analyze why that particular thing was of interest to me, then I'll start realizing, okay, there's this nice contrast of, you know, light and dark values, or there's this nice uh, composition, or, you know, there's like more formal aspects to it that like impact you in a way. And I think in terms of a painting as well, there's these things that act upon us in in a more subtle way. Like we, we tend to credit colors for everything that a, a painting does for us like emotionally but I think that the value structure is going to be one of the main things that really draws you in like how well you handle the light and darks and like the everything in between and afterwards how you arrange the composition and how you you place everything on there and I'm still like I'm still figuring all of that out but I think um yeah I think I've realized lately that that's one of the things that really draws you to something and kind of captivates you and it's you know afterwards that the details come in but I think if you start to think of an image in terms of the details first and then you ne you neglect like the composition and the values and all that like that that makes for a, a kind of poor image in the end but uh yeah so I think that um but also I don't know like landscapes for me were definitely something where um you know at, at first it was related to you know like you get somewhere at the end of a hike and there's this like beautiful view and you're in front of it and you feel kind of apart from it and you want to like hang on to it yeah. so I think there's like a part of landscape painting that like wants to hang on to the the feeling of that moment or like the something you know that can't really be put into words when you're in front of like these vast expanses or in front of of something specific like that so why is that about like wide open spaces do you think that you're intrigued by um I'm not sure. Well, I think it comes back to like our relationship to nature and trying to see myself as as part of it and not exterior to it. Um, so, you know, like something, I think wide open spaces are more, uh, it's, it's easier to feel like you're part of something bigger if you're in, in those spaces and you like really let yourself feel the moment in that. But it's also interesting because I always feel like if I go to the seaside, for instance, and I look at the ocean, I always feel very mm -hmm. small as well. It makes you kind of yeah. rethink about your own life in terms of like mm -hmm. the fact that you're, you know, really ironically like a drop in the ocean. Like, you know, your life is so tiny. And mm -hmm. that actually it always makes me come back thinking like nothing really matters in a mm -hmm. slightly cynical but in a way. Good way. <laughs> slightly cynical, but in a good way, yes. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, you kind of realize, you know, actually, you know things could be very different they could be you know mm -hmm. very much the same is i don't know i think I, there's something about because i'm very much in my own work very interested at the minute especially in kind of wide open spaces the idea of just kind of just space in general and the way in which we have both commodified it and also the way in which we use it or mm -hmm. how it's kind of almost had prisoner like you know where we have buildings or the idea of property the idea of uh um, yeah trespassing and that kind of stuff so I don't know there's something I'm also very interested in terms of like the landscape itself which mm -hmm. is funny but that idea of feeling small in front of something vast I think is very important because um you know we're definitely in a society of uh where where we think that humans are kind of superior to things and everything is centered around us our needs and and all that so I think to be able to have those experiences where we're in front of something bigger than us and part of something bigger than us is super important because if if it helps us change our relationship to to the natural world and to what we are calling resources instead of just like a forest for example you know like I think that can be very helpful in how we treat it or how we yeah. um, how we look to protect it in a way as well um, because you know I think that like feeling small is a reality check of you know we get kind of caught up in our in our lives and in our 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 day to day stuff and it's good to have that experience of feeling small i just said earlier so you create from photographs but do you create from your own photographs or is it just other people's photographs um well at first it was from 
like anything and everything kind of. Um, yeah. Then I moved to working from other people's photographs, but asking them for permission. Um, and now I'm mostly working from my own stuff, like from from life, from imagination and from photographs. Uh, but actually in two weeks, I'm moving um, out of the city and into more a more rural setting. So I think I'm going to be working more from, from life and from uh, like my own imagery or from like the view from my future studio. <laughs> That's amazing. Are you excited mm-hmm. about it? I'm so excited. Yeah, it's honestly hard to focus on anything else because it's in exactly two weeks today. So it's, um, yeah, I'm very excited about it. So I wanted to ask you based on the idea of using photographs, and I don't think I put this question in the notes, so I apologize if it throws you. No but <laughs> what does a painting do that a photograph doesn't? Um, well, I think we've moved away from the idea of a painting needing to represent something realistically. Um, I think that's something that, you know, the advent of photography liberated painting in a way because it was no longer, uh, it no longer had to serve the purpose of showing something realistically. So I think that painting now is just free to do whatever it wants. And so you can represent something very realistically, even in like a photorealistic manner, if you choose, but you can also just go get really weird with it and do whatever you want and it's fine and so I think that paintings can give more of a emotional response to a thing instead of just like a physical reproduction of it as well so that's a really great response to that question because when I ask a lot Mm -hmm. of people that question they're a bit like uh and that's a really (laughs) really good answer actually and as somebody who does photography I I actually really appreciate that response and I think Mm it's actually a really it's very well considered I must say I'm, (laughs) I'm actually very impressed with that response Nice. Well, even photography, I don't think has now, uh, nowadays, like that responsibility towards realism, you know, like I think oh, of course, that yeah. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of abstract photography, or there's a lot of photography that's more atmospheric or more, um, you know, looking to, to, to show a specific atmosphere vibe or, you know, whatever you want to call it, where it's not like, just showing of a thing, it can be like, very free as well. Oh, absolutely. But that's just a good way of con- considering because I'm always, I'm just always curious, like why you would paint an image when you have the photograph in front of you. That's why that, mm-hmm. that's kind of where that question lies. Yeah, that's really well. Yeah, it's true. It's a good question because there's uh, a def- definitely a lot more time involved in creating a painting than yeah. in you know clicking on a button in order to take a photo. Like I know it's of more complicated than that. For, I know, of course, yeah. For but photography, yes. of course, like, I don't mean to. Um, oh no, to downplay it, but <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> but no, no, so there's uh, absolutely more time that goes into creating it so I think you have time to like reflect on why you're doing it as well while you're doing it and to kind of like react to what's going on on the canvas as well so like even if you start out with a certain intention it usually ends up veering from that as you're going through it like if you're responding to what's going on in front of you you know and you're not like sticking to like a very strict plan and and you know tight drawing from the beginning so what are your thoughts on gentrification and the idea of kind of like the way technology is impacting the landscape the way that technology is impacting the landscape. Um, I don't know, like I think that it can create some visually interesting things for sure if you're using it in a certain way. Um, otherwise, I think it's just kind of become part of our visual library as well because we, most people live in a city, most people have access to nature through a more environment, more like urban environment. So I think that, um, you know, we have these, this way of seeing that is impacted by by all that and I think that also the fact that we can see it through lenses or through photography or through like 
you know, the internet as well is um, is going to impact the way that we see it and like what is made possible by it. The fact that we can digitally manipulate things afterwards as well, I think is also going to impact our relationship to images and how we view them and how we consume them and produce them. Um, I'm less interested, I would say, in like that digital aspect of, of all those things, even though like I, I know that it's a very interesting area. Like it's just not something that for me is interesting in my practice, but uh, I like what other people can do with it. <laughs> That's the thing that I feel like the great thing about art is everybody has their own lane or at least, you know, mm -hmm. you can carve out a niche for yourself or like, you know, there'll be an area of art in which you are comfortable. And I think that's mm -hmm. really fun. Like you don't have to explore the landscape through every single means possible, you mm -hmm. know, to say every single kind of um, avenue available. You can say, mm -hmm. oh, I want to look at this topic or I want to explore that topic and, and that's perfectly fine. And I think that's the best thing, really. Yeah, exactly. Instead of trying to say everything all at once through like all the different uh, mediums that are available to you, because I think that that can be that can end up being more confusing as well like I think we definitely need to explore and find what we are interested in but um we don't have to do all of the things because there's someone else out there doing it too and it's fine you know mm -hmm. are there actually any other mediums you'd like to explore um I really like printmaking actually uh yeah uh in art school I had the opportunity to explore printmaking um so my favorite mediums in that are lino cut printing and screen printing I don't know if you're familiar with those mediums. I am indeed. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's something I want to get into a bit more in in the future as well, especially lino cut because there's a very, I don't know, I just like the material aspect of it too, where like you're physically carving something and creating an image out of like a 3D block that you're that you're carving into, and I think the just the the language of lino cut is very interesting to me, like just the very contrasted kind of effects that you can get, or just the very um, well, I mean, I guess the limits of the medium are what make it nice as well, because you can't easily do like very fine lines or like very detailed things if you're using like bigger carving tools where you, you know, like all of your your carved lines will have a certain aesthetic quality to them as well. well okay, so I actually want to spend a bit of time talking about, or at least briefly mention, I think it's definitely worth a mention, the idea of your custom image series and <laughs> also your pixelated paintings that are actually really, really intriguing. Like where did the idea for like these bodies of work come about because they're not like fully fleshed bodies of work that mm -hmm. you're necessarily going to exhibit but they're also really really great things to talk about independently because they're just so interesting as well mm -hmm. um yeah well i uh, i think it was just a reaction to trying to bring my sense of humor into painting as well and not having it just be like you know serious or having uh, like a specific goal in mind. I can think um, a lot of the cursed images that I ended up painting were just things that I found funny and that I was looking yeah. for something to paint that day. So I painted this meme or this strange taxidermy animal that looks horrible and that just made me laugh. And um, yeah, so that whole, uh, well, I'm calling it a series, but it's, as you said, it's not cohesive. There's not like a specific like theme running through it, but yeah. other than the fact that they just made me laugh or that I wanted to paint them at the time. Um, yeah, so I think it was just a way for me to, have fun with it while still you know painting and still doing something that day without having the pressure of like oh you must make serious art today <laughs> yeah. um, so that was part of it but also just kind of reflecting on how the internet affects the images that we consume or the images that we see um, and how that can translate into even a very uh, you know like serious medium as such as oil painting and yeah. it doesn't have to you know remain this like very traditional thing that you're not allowed to touch uh you know like any memes or any funny things or cursed images with 
Yeah, because especially like the Furbies, which are funny, because it's very mm-hmm. nostalgic. They're very much a throwback. And, you know, it's, yeah. I saw them and I was like, these are absolutely great. And I sent them to my brother because I was like, he would love them. <laughs> so um, it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. how you kind of tap into the whole idea of nostalgia or the idea of like kind of imagery that's more universal. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's just like, as you said, you know, it's not super serious. It's not like, oh, these have to be perfect. It's a case of mm-hmm. just being like, yeah, almost like practice, I guess, in a way. Exactly. And like those first four furries that I painted, I did them in one day. It was sometime like early pandemic. And I had, um, I was just working on four at the same time. And then I I finished them. um, And I was talking to artist friends as well while painting. And then I, uh, I posted them and I did not expect people to react to them or to like, want them or anything i just thought like uh this is going to go to the bottom of the drawer and that's fine and uh, i had fun today so it's cool but um i was surprised by how many people wanted them and contacted me and reacted to them and were just like i must have this furby this like reminds me so much of the furby i had when i was growing up and i had i had furby commissions like i could be a full-time furby painter (laughs) if i wanted to because i had so many requests for people who were like that's amazing uh please paint my furby and then i discovered that there was this whole community of people who um like for example i think um well i i now created a separate instagram account where i I post these sorts of things just to kind of have like a more uh you know like coherent thing but um that 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 account is called important paintings because i'm not being sarcastic at all Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, no uh but yeah so the amount of people that contacted me on that instagram and were like please paint my furby and everything and then i started to be like that like all of their instagram handles were like uh furby this furby that or like i love my furby or or whatever so there's a lot of people and i didn't know that this whole like community existed of people who still collect them or like who modify them and have like personalized furbies and there's like so many of them have you ever heard uh, i'm assuming you have nowadays but have you ever heard of long furbies yeah <laughs> yes i should put my brother one for his birthday because they're, they're great they're like the best they're so funny but yeah it's like i can imagine that's actually a really funny idea actually that the fact that see actually what i really love about that is that you just took something that you were just like cool i'll just paint this every day not seriously at all and it mm-hmm. could have became very much a very serious full-time business for you exactly like I, I feel like that's a good lesson for people to kind of remember like not everything you do has to be done with seriousness in mind when you start mm-hmm. because you never know how it's going to develop when people see it. Exactly. And I think in terms of like learning to paint, if you give yourself these moments of I'm going to paint uh, this like bad taxidermy fail that looks absolutely ridiculous and that's what I'm going to do today and it's fine. It doesn't have to be serious. And I think it also takes away some of that pressure of having to make a good painting that I think we feel when we're starting out or when we want to, when we want to learn and when we want to kind of, prove to ourselves that we can paint or we want to go along that route so yeah I think allowing yourselves to just explore an idea and not having any expectations for it is very important as well like regardless of where you are in the process but especially at first because I think there's a lot of pressure um at first to like already know who you are as an artist and to already do that and I think that's ridiculous like you wouldn't you know if you're learning an instrument for example if you're if you're learning guitar we're not going to give you a guitar and tell you like express yourself and like already show us who you are as a musician it's just going to be like learn the basics do some covers like learn some theory and you know like learn how to use your instrument and then eventually you're going to have a voice or a style but it's not going to be right away and there's not going to be that pressure of like you must know who you are as a as a musician right away but I think that in visual art there is that sort of notion of you have to have your voice already and like uh, I think that's really absurd so you said earlier that obviously you're, you know, you're still very much in the process of learning and very much in the process of finding yourself. But like, do you feel like you have a style? Um, maybe more and more, but I don't feel like 
uh, you know, there's a lot of artists that, that I like or follow or admire who um, I don't have to see their their name to know that they painted something, you know, like I, I can right away tell that it's them. Um, I personally don't feel that I have that yet. I still think that I'm figuring things out and like going more and more towards what I want. But I think a style doesn't necessarily just have to be like in the paint handling or in like how you handle your medium, but it can also be in the subject matter, the palette or in what you have to say about it as well. So I think it's like a very, uh, it's it's more of a complex thing than just like stylistic choices or or voices but um yeah no I don't think yet that I do but hopefully soon <laughs> because I, I feel like there's always a pressure and I know you know as you've just commented on there's always a pressure for an artist to to have a style or to kind of as you know as you said earlier like kind of know who they want to be as an artist and I kind of feel like that in like many times that becomes kind of like the undoing of an artist because they're mm-hmm. so busy trying to find a style or they're so busy focusing on style they actually forego kind of like the deeper meanings of their work or what their work is about or why they're even creating in the first place true I'm, I'm kind of actually curious just in your own opinion of, of like your work so far like how have you made sure that you're creating the work that you want to create as well as creating work that is going to sell because obviously mm-hmm. commodification and business always also has to come into the mix because you want to make money Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say that uh, style is also a matter of choice. So if, for example, I had realized that, you know, the Furby paintings sell really well, and they do, I could have just decided to only do Furby paintings. And that could have been my, you know, quote unquote style. But um, I think that for me, that wasn't, you know, the route that I wanted to go. And I, it just felt like I had other things that I wanted to say that weren't this. So I think that um, it's partly the choices you make, but also like what we call style is just a kind of combination of the time that you spend developing something. It's also an expression of your taste. So depending on what you like, that's gonna find its way into what you create. Um, So taste isn't something that you can necessarily change all that much because I think you have like a certain taste or something that that you like in art that you, will seek to to express like even unconsciously but it's also um yeah like as I mentioned the time that you spend doing it and then you know what we call the talent which is just eventually like over time you you get better at your craft and that becomes part of your style or or it can anyway or anyway that's what I think about that that's a really good way of looking at it actually because I just I just feel like I meet so many artists that just don't know who they are and it kind of it impacts them in a way that they don't know what they're creating or why they're creating or mm-hmm. what they should be creating. You know, yeah. I kind of, I kind of do wonder, like, do you think it's important for an artist to know why they're creating the way they create? Or do you think, can you just get by without knowing that? Well, I think that depends on what you want to accomplish with it. Like if you want to be a professional artist, then I think, yes, you do need to eventually get to a point where you know what you want to express and why you're expressing it. And you have to be able to express it in a certain way. Um, if you're doing this for for fun or like as a cathartic thing that you do, then not necessarily. I mean, like just throwing paint around can be very, very cathartic and you don't have to justify that. And I think it just, if it is a hobby for you, you don't have to monetize it. Like I hate this idea of having to monetize all of your hobbies because it, it puts such a pressure on people, especially like beginner artists who are just starting to paint and then their friends are telling them like oh you should you should sell your things you should paint this it sells or you should do this and I think that's a horrible way of approaching something that should otherwise be so freeing and so fun and yeah so I think that's a big part of it too and um you asked earlier about commodification and I think that that's a part of it as well like not seeing your art as something that that can be commodified right away or like 
or maybe one day it will be your job and you will have to commodify it in a way and sell it. But that shouldn't be your main starting point, especially if you're learning to paint, like just learn to paint, have fun with it. And don't worry about painting as a product, you know, like just just see it as as a journey and as a thing that you're doing. And like you will create physical artwork and then eventually you will have to find a way to like either paint over it, store it, throw it out or sell it. But <laughs> until then, you know, just worry about like expressing things that you want and like learning and it's fine. I love that those are like the four options you have of what you're going to do with an image once it's complete. <laughs> exactly. Or you could burn it. That's a fifth. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm kind of curious. So like, do you work in a studio? Uh, yeah. Well, what you see behind yes. me now is uh, is the corner of my studio, um, but it's a home studio. So it's um, just a room in my, in my home where I, I paint from. Um, but as I mentioned a bit earlier, I'm moving in two weeks, uh, but I'm still going to have a home studio at that point. It's really nice to have it be at home because it's so convenient. Like if I want to start working or if I just want to, you know, prepare a panel for the next day, I can just go in and like do a quick like 10 minute thing and then and then it's done and I don't have to commute or do anything like that. Um, However, I'm kind of jealous of people who have these like big, like dirty studios where they can get like paint all over the place and like just destroy the floors. And I don't have that currently. But in my next place, I'm thinking of maybe setting up a studio in the basement where I'll be able to do like very messy stuff and then have another like painting area upstairs where I can, you know, like look out the window and have fun and, you know, do other things as well. So that's a really good, as I've said about a thousand times already, that's like a really good consideration because Mm -hmm. the space in which you create really denotes the kind of work you create. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like everybody always says they want more space, but I also feel like the fact that you have a home studio and you're using what you have says mm-hmm. a lot about your willingness as an artist to create work. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. And also, um, I think, uh, well, as I mentioned, like since I started painting more seriously during the pandemic, it just made sense to to have a home studio. And I'm lucky enough to have a room that I can use just for that as well so you know it's it it feels more serious when you can come into the studio and like close the door and and you don't like worry about bothering anyone because my uh the apartment I was living in before this when I started painting was um I had a corner of the living room so it was uh like I live with my boyfriend and he works from home as well so he had another corner of the living room where he was working so we were kind of sharing that space and like you know trying to respect each other's uh like boundaries and all that while working in the same room and while you know I was creating like toxic fumes and and all these things that you really shouldn't be doing in your living room but (laughs) (laughs) hey he's dating an artist what does he expect at the end of the day exactly (laughs) that's that's the sacrifice relationship that is Mm -hmm. so i'm kind of curious because two artists i spoke to basically very early on just at some point in this journey of the podcast um, Mm -hmm. one called ellis king the other called mark thompson uh, both incredible artists i'll send you their work Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing they said about working in a studio or working in a studio environment is the idea of loneliness. And I'm kind of curious, like, mm-hmm. do you ever get lonely whilst working in your studio? And if so, how do you combat that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, when I was working towards my exhibition in the past couple of weeks, uh, right before the deadline, I was definitely feeling lonely. And um, as much as I loved working on on my projects, I was I, I had days where I was like, oh, I, would, I just want to go out and like see a human being and uh like I don't care which one <laughs> um so it, it kind of got to like a really really weird stage I think like if you're more um 
if you're doing it in a more balanced way and you're not spending like 10 hours a day in the studio right before like a big crunch, you know, it, it's generally fine because you'll go out, you'll see friends, you'll like go for walks and see people or spend time with your with your family and all that. And um, it's just that towards the end, I had that moment where like I really had to finish things and I had a very specific deadline because my show got moved up a little bit. And I also had to make sure that my paintings were dry enough to be able to be transported to to the gallery so i had like um to really finish things before a specific day and i like i had i had like a timer where like i set my my paintbrushes down at noon on a specific day and that was like as far as i could go for them for the show and uh yeah so i felt like it was kind of alienating but also kind of fun to like work in that like intensive environment because i usually am a bit more relaxed about painting where i'm not like uh, I'm not going to force myself to be all day in a studio if I'm feeling like I should be going outside that day or I should be like doing other things. You know, I'm going to like really listen to what I need in terms of like social interactions, but like also outdoor time or, or whatever else, you know. So I think it was it was fun to do that for a little while, but I couldn't do just that all the time in a very intensive way. And so yeah. I think for me, the balance comes from like, you know, having those moments where I do go outside or like, even if I plan on painting that day, but I really feel like I don't want to, or like, I want to see people, I'll, I'll listen to that, you know. That's very important though. Cause I feel like it's very easy to fall into the habit of creating because you have to create when at the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's like, you're right. Like if you don't want to create, you could very much waste a whole day trying to force yourself to create. And actually mm -hmm. that's just not what you want to do. It's the same as like, I guess being online, like if you don't want to be online, just don't be online. Because otherwise the things you're going to do online, you're just not going to do them well because you're not in the mindset or the mood to do it. So I think having exactly. that self-awareness and having that kind of, um, the ability to be able to kind of control, like the self-control is, I think it's actually a really, really, a really good lesson for other people actually. Mm -hmm. True. And on those days where you're going to want to be in the studio alone, like nothing will be able to stop you. You know, you're just going yeah. to be like really happy to be there and like really intense and you're not at all going to miss people and all that. Um, but in terms of loneliness, when I'm actually in the studio as well, I think what helps is um, just having like a variety of things that I listen to while I'm in the studio as well, like either uh, music, like mostly music, but also shows, podcasts, movies, but like nothing... Um, in terms of like when there's visual images as well, nothing too interesting that I'm going to want to look at, but just like maybe a movie that I've seen a bunch of times that can just kind of be playing in the background while I do my thing. And <laughs> Yeah. And do you ever feel like what you're listening to influences what you paint? Um, a little bit, like especially for music, if um, there's a very like upbeat kind of thing, I notice that I'm painting faster or if it's like a little bit more uh, mellow, then I'll, I'll kind of slow down a bit. But mostly what I find the interaction with, with music to be is that like or not not the interaction but like the effect of it is that i'll i'll be able to look at a painting of mine and like remember exactly what album i was listening to and i did wow. a specific part so that's really fun for me to be able to like remember those moments or like remember that that thing like in relation to like a, a part of an image as well it like that's, becomes integrated to it that's fascinating because that's like the power of music and i'm sure that's something i said in the last episode i'm pretty sure it's the last <laughs> episode um i've been the last episode i that's before i can't remember <laughs> um i talked to 200 people um <laughs> but like the idea that music like unlike art music you take with you everywhere and you associate memories with music where you don't necessarily mm -hmm. do that with art and i think that's kind of the power of music because mm -hmm. i was talking to yes the last person interviewed a, a really cool artist called trails i'm trying to remember was it trails it was trails um and we're talking about the idea of music yeah because we're talking about music and listen to music mm -hmm. and this idea that, like how music is very different to art um, in the sense of like, yeah, you can take it with you and you form memories, whereas an eye itself is almost the, as you said, like the memory of that time. Like that's really mm -hmm. interesting how art can be 
a passageway into a moment of time for you as an artist, not just the Mm -hmm. viewer. Mm -hmm. True. And like, for sure, that's not going to translate to someone who sees my painting. They're not going to be like, oh, you're listening to that album in this particular corner of of this painting. But um, it'll probably impact the way that I painted that day for sure. And uh, yeah, like I think that it will kind of tap into that same um, like emotional resonance that that music can get into uh, or like the kind of nostalgic effect or the uh, like you know like bringing up old memories kind of thing but just in a very different way um but i think maybe music is taps into those things a little bit easier than visual arts do but uh, i'm not sure <laughs> see that's really fascinating i kind of feel like i should ask artists like if your images were if you were to describe your images as an album what album would you describe them as mm. what would mm-hmm. be your answer to that oh my god um I'd have to think about that. I can't. <laughs> I feel like that'd be such a good question to ask somebody. That'd be really yeah. interesting. I'm going to write that down, even though it's recorded. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write it down. Uh, music. Yeah. As... I will get back to you on that though. But like, oh, no, please do. I'm actually really curious about that because I feel like mm-hmm. everybody, like when you, no matter what you create, you're always mm-hmm. listening to something, or you're always there's always some background noise to what you're creating, even that's just like the environment around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that would impact the way in which you feel and the way which would impact the way in which you create. And actually, like, do you do a lot of, I'm sure it's, I'm sure, of course, it's like plan, it's like plein air, plein air images, or do you normally, do you ever go out into the actual environment and paint? Um, well, living in a city currently, I don't do a lot of that. Like I mostly um, like go for walks and, and take photos kind of thing, but um, where I'll be moving to, I think yeah, I really am excited about doing a lot of plein air painting um, or at least like, at least being very inspired by like those those moments or like those areas where I'll be outside um yeah or like just having in my next place I'll have like a yard and a garden and and all these things so I think that I'll be so excited to be painting there and or to just like incorporate that into what I'm doing and um yeah so I don't know if I've told you a little bit about like uh where I'll be moving but it's it's not super far from the city like it's still accessible to come back here but it's in a very rural environment like my uh my close neighbors are like uh just small farms and horses and mountains and (laughs) that sounds very idyllic and that sounds like kind Mm -hmm. of like for you and your work especially like the kind of Mm -hmm. right environment for you to be creating in I think it's going to hugely positively impact your work and the way in which you create I think it's going to be like one of the best changes you could probably make for yourself That concludes the first part of my conversation with Crystal Pereira. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com via social media sites such as Instagram and Twitter. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast can now be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube or Apple Music. Please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of these platforms to help us spread the word. Also, Please don't forget to check out theflyingfruitball.co.uk for daily art inspiration and if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. We now also have a Patreon page if you're interested in supporting the platform further. Tiers start from £1 and more information can be found over at patreon.com forward slash theflyingfruitball. If the donations are not something you're interested in, we now also have a PayPal for one-time donations. I shall leave a link to our PayPal in the show notes below. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode today. And until next time, folks, please stay safe.